right, Aaron, thanks for spending part of your day with us here on Leading Edge. I'm your host, Jeff Smith. Coming up a little later, WTOL 11's Dan Cummins on the start of something new and the return to something special. We'll have that. But first, when I was growing up here in the Toledo area back in the 80s, there was nothing like the City League. And when it came to football and basketball, it was hard for any other league around Northwest Ohio or Southeastern Michigan at that time to even hold a candle to it. In fact, in my graduating class at St. Francis, seven of my senior classmates who were basketball players all went D1. A lot has changed when you talk about the landscape of high school sports in the Toledo area over the years, players, schools, leagues. And this year, it's changing once again. To be a part of that discussion, I want to welcome in today's guest from the Toledo Blade, sports writer Kyle Rowland joining us. Also, Steve Junga there on the end. Guys, I've seen your name. I've seen your face all over the years. Obviously, it's been so important as far as the landscape of sports here in Northwest Ohio. Thanks for taking the time to be a part of this conversation. Absolutely. My pleasure. Steve, I wanted to start with you as far as the high school situation is concerned. I, I prefaced everything by talking about the City League and what it was, what it has become. But more recently, the track, the Three Rivers Conference, and it disbanding, it dissolving, and all of a sudden you see this fissure of all these teams. What do you make out of all of it? The first thing I would say is, from a personal standpoint, I'm an old City League guy myself, and it hurt me a little bit to see that separate, that public school, Catholic school unity there, because it existed nowhere else in Ohio, and yeah. I, I'm not sure anywhere else in the country. What was so great? I mean, besides, take off the blade hat for a second, and just a fan of sports, what was so great about it? Brought out the best. Um, and all the teams, and it proved that it, it could work, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, it did work for many years, and I think the only thing that really, you know, at the end that cut it apart was a money situation, you know. Yeah. In the early, like, 2010-11 era, the uh, Toledo Public Schools had a major budget deficit, and that ended to, or that wound up with them having to drop some sports, which led some of those schools that weren't TPS mm -hmm. to pull out. And unfortunately, uh, you know, or fortunately, it, it grew into something that became the Three Rivers Athletic Conference, which I'd put it up against any league in the state as far as competition, number of, you know, good, strong state teams in, in, in various sports. And, and now that's gone. Yeah. Just in, it seems in the blink of an eye. I want to come back and talk about where some of the, where the Catholic schools ended up. Kyle, just from an outsider's perspective, looking at the, the talent pool that exists, and uh, do you still rank Northwest Ohio up there as far as the state is concerned? Or, or has it fallen off? That's a good question. I mean, I think it goes in waves. Um, I mean, this year in football specifically, I mean, there's some really big time offensive linemen. Um, you got Ryan Montgomery at Finley, who's a big time quarterback, a junior. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. I think it kind of goes in way. There's not consistently every year major D1 talent in football and basketball. Um, but, I mean, here and there, there's still some really good players in this area. So let's talk about those Catholic schools. And you, you talked about the blending of the public and Catholic as it existed at one time. Well, now we're getting a little bit of that. We're breaking away from that as these schools, five of them, head north and go to this Detroit conference. And you and I were talking before we came out here, Steve, about the distance that we see these schools from the Toledo area, and you say, and as we look, I wanted to show people there at home, just as we look down the list, 
distance from Toledo over in the brackets there on the side in the parentheses. But, Steve, you were telling me something specific to – there are 33 schools that make up this Detroit area Catholic high school league. But they're not going to play our, our St. John's, our St. Francis, our Central Catholic, Notre Dame, uh, St. Ursula. They're not going to play all these. Schools. No, you're only get, the, the teams from Toledo are only going to play four on the boys side, four schools. And same thing on the girls side, the bigger schools. So this is the, in football and basketball, football, ba- all sports. Yeah, um, they're just not going to ever see a lot of those. Now, the distances to some of them, if you were bringing up. They are in suburban Detroit area, some to the north and northwest, and it's going to be 70, 80 mile trip. Yeah. But uh, did that guess, play into the decision making in your mind? Um, I, I I think it's in a positive way because okay. if How you're so? going to um, if your alternative is looking out uh, to find Catholic school programs from Ohio, you're going to Cleveland, you're going to Columbus, Dayton, Cincinnati all longer trips than that. And you're going to have to reinvent the wheel every year with your schedule. Mm -hmm. They needed to be able to find some kind of a league structure. And that was, um, to me, from an outsider's viewpoint, I'm not involved with the coaching and, you know, I'm not a parent in the school. But uh, I think it was the most convenient. And you have good quality programs there. So I personally, I think it's an easy fit. Now, if you go inside and ask the schools, I'm not sure they're all on board with that. Yeah. But, uh, they're happy to have had a place to land in. When you, also, were... you also made the comparison to Lima Senior and those, those exactly. teams that had to make that trip year in and year out. Every year the teams in the track were going down to Lima Senior. You're making trips to Finley. You're going to Fremont Ross. Um, not so far for the Fremont thing, but right. in terms of uh, Just a different you know, landscape. comparing to Detroit, Lima is 70, 80 miles. What, what about the name recognition? I mean, does that play into it at all? I mean, I think the Detroit League has great name recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you got, you're talking about some of the, the biggest powerhouse programs in the Midwest in football and basketball. Um, I think it'll be cool to see Central Catholic and St. Francis and, and these areas, St. John's, play uh, those schools. Um, they're going to play against some major Division One. Uh, athletes that are you know, going to be going to the Ohio States and Michigans of right. the world. Um, so I think that part of it's neat. The other thing I wanted to ask, if we were talking talent pool, Kyle, specific to the NLL, and obviously there's been a lot of focus on what that has become. Once again, tr- taking teams from the track conference, and we see the list of teams as it exists here this year, picking up some of those teams, once again, that were in the track. But you're talking major. Once again, you mentioned Finley and the Montgomery boys, which have come out of there. But, I mean, the, obviously – BCSN has gone so far as to create an NLL network specific to this league and the strength of it. Yeah, I mean, it's in this area, it's certainly, I mean, the, the biggest schools, the biggest fan bases, the most passionate. Uh, I mean, those communities support all those teams incredibly well. Yeah. Um, and the thing that's nice about it, I mean, the division format, it's fairly even in terms of enrollment and, and the teams you're playing and whatnot. Uh, so, I mean, I think the NLL is from like kind of top to bottom competitively, I mean, it's one of the better conferences in the state, in my opinion. And when you, any discussion along these lines with the track and the demise, um, you have to go back to what caused it. And there were two factors really at play. The NLL had a little bit of an imbalance in terms of the teams at the top growing a lot bigger than the ones that were at the bottom in terms of enrollment. And the the, uh, uh, competitive balance had fallen off. 
And I think the people in the NLL were concerned that over time they were going to lose some teams at the bottom end of that. They were going to seek a league that they were more competitive in. So that was going on at the same time. And I think some of the, there's always been uh, a viewpoint on the public school side that it's not fair competing against a Catholic school that can draw uh, athletes from all over a community as opposed to one specific school district. Makes so sense. Those two factors at the same time is what caused this to happen. And, and when we come back, uh, stay right there. We've got another segment with these guys coming up. But when we come back from that standpoint, that mentality, I'm wondering why the MAC, why the Big Ten don't do the same kind of thing. I graduated from Indiana, the constant doormat in football season. Um, we want to talk about that a little bit more on the other side. Stay with us. Kyle Rowland and Steve Junga from The Blade joining us here on Leading Edge. Guys, thanks for being here once again. I wanted to switch gears. We talked a lot about high school sports going in, but I want to switch gears to talk about college. And we talked a little bit about the changes in divisions, in leagues, as far as high school is concerned. Wondering the same thing, and, and the question I wanted to ask you, Kyle, you, you were at the Illinois game. We're, we're taping on Thursday. There's obviously been another UTBG game since. But the landscape of the MAC. And, and what we see, what you see playing out, I, I want you to get out of your crystal ball, and, and we're not going to figure out everything here today on Leading Edge, but Toledo has, let me ask it this way, has Toledo supplanted itself as a premier school of student-athletes as far as the MAC is concerned? Is it the premier school? Yeah, that is a really good question. Um, almost. I, I think would be the answer. I mean, they've they've done well across. And we're the, not just talking football. Yeah, I, yeah, I want right. to put that out yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, they've done well in all the sports. I think two straight years now they've won the all sport trophy mm -hmm. in the MAC. Um, they still need to kind of get to the upper echelon continually. Um, you know, like a Boise. Win that Illinois like, game. Yeah, like yeah, like a Boise State yeah. or you know some of these other schools uh, in basketball make the NCAA tournament. Maybe even upset a team in the NCAA tournament. Um, I think you have to do those kind of things on a consistent basis to really be considered uh, the but top many, dog. how many years does it need to happen straight? Yeah, I right? mean, that's, that's a good question. Um, but because we've seen those blips with Northern Illinois will exactly. have a good football yeah. season. Akron will have a good soccer season, be number one in the country. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think, like, Northern's a great example. I mean, they've made the MAC title game, I want to say, like, eight times in the last 13 years or something. It's a huge number. They've won it three or four times. They made a BCS Bowl. Yeah. Western Michigan went to the Cotton Bowl a few years back. So you, you have to do something like that that captures like the nation's attention um, to be considered the top dog. But I think Toledo's there. I think they can, can get there. Uh, high hopes for football, men's basketball, and women's basketball this year. Does the uh, MAC need to expand? Does it need to do anything? Does it need to send a few teams on their way? Like I said, the Big Ten might be looking to do. I'm not saying that, I'm not breaking news right there, but I'm just saying, should they? I Personally, I think they're at a comfortable number right now. You've got, what, six on each side in the divisions, and um, I don't know who you go out and get that uh, um, fits the profile so well in the Midwestern area. Yeah, I mean, a couple of years ago, it looked like Western Kentucky and Middle Tennessee State were gonna join. I thought they would have been good additions. They're competitive in all the high-profile sports. And relatively regional. Yeah, relatively, and yeah. kind of bring in, I mean, Middle Tennessee is just located outside Nashville, which maybe you know brings that market in a little bit. Um, but I mean, think about the MAC. I mean, more so than any conference in America, it's just all like-minded universities, generally the same size, same budgets. 
I mean, it's very competitive, you know, across the board in all these sports. Um, the one thing they, they need to do, they don't necessarily need to kick teams out. They need to have some athletic programs commit money. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, so, some of them are just not fully committed to the major sports, and I think that's an issue. Are is there a need, though, for, for teams to be – we talked about Notre Dame as the example for that, that one hanging chad that's out there as far as the Big Ten is concerned and the fact that they don't feel they need to do anything because they're in the perfect situation. I, I think the AD said a couple of weeks ago, he said, until we lose that TV contract, we don't need to worry about anything. Let's, let's switch gears to the Big Ten. Going out west, grabbing these, grabbing these schools – and you said divisions go away next year? Yeah. Yeah. What I does mean, that do to the landscape? Yeah. What I does mean, that do for teams like my Hoosiers? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the contraction subject, I think, is fascinating in the Big Ten. I mean, you never, I've learned, I never say never anymore in college athletics because everything that's happened in the last year, I would have never predicted. Um, I mean, you're, you're get, there's so much money involved now. And obviously, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, USC, all these programs bring so much to the Big Ten. Like, does there become a point where they say, sorry, Indiana, sorry, Purdue, the SEC, sorry, Mississippi State? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it seems like that is within the realm of possibility now. But, but I think it goes back, and Steve, correct me if I'm wrong, you look at like-sized schools and kind of the same build, if you will, as far as membership is concerned. Yeah, and um, I think when you're making the argument about the MAC and UT being at the top and having to do a few more things, a lot of these schools haven't done anything for a long time, and you just wonder from their perspective why they want to be a part of it. You had a few more in at the top, and now you're even less competitive. So I, I don't know what the answer is for the have-nots yeah. in terms of wins and losses, but... I don't know that going up to 18 is the answer there. I know because we're taping on Thursday before we have game two in the books, but what did you see out of UT? What did you see out of BGSU? Yeah, I mean, UT looked as good as you could with a loss, I would say. Um, that fourth down play, fourth and four at the end of the game, they did everything on that play. Terrence Taylor's right there at the quarterback. Chris McDonald guarding the receiver, and somehow they dropped the pass in. Um, but I, I think you got to be pretty happy if you're Toledo. Mm -hmm. um, they seem to be a pretty complete team. Um, they had a lot of hype coming into the season. I think they'll probably largely live up to that this year. But nationally, that's a game to win. Exactly. As you, far as you the... got to, you just got to win one of them yeah. eventually. They almost beat Notre Dame a few years ago. They almost right. beat Illinois, but you just got to get it done. Yeah. I like think the, the Duke, the Duke game, just you know, here's a basketball school yeah. beating Clemson. Yeah, the other thing about, you were talking about the play and how well defended. The other thing I thought stood out um, from UT's perspective was they were up 12, and then they were down 8, 8 or 9, and you think, well, they're dead now. But they came back from that to take the lead, and I was really impressed with that. Um, on that last play, I don't know how you cover a receiver any tighter than that. I mean, he was literally inside, the, and the guy just made a play. And so. the Falcons. I mean, it was a weird game. Just, I mean, they lose 34-24, and they threw five interceptions. So it's like, is it really bad? Like, oh, my gosh, five interceptions, including three consecutive passes? Or, hey, like, you went to Liberty, good program, um, and you only lost by 10. So I, I don't know. You can look at it either way. The problem, they just haven't had a consistently good quarterback the whole time Scott Leffler's been there. And they, they just got to find a quarterback, especially in the MAC. I think it's a big quarterback-driven league. Basilak was, he was hampered by a line or lack of a line in Indiana, 
And now I'm hearing the same thing. The line was not there. I think Scott, Coach Leffler, even said we didn't protect him. A couple of the interceptions were on our quarterbacks. But for the most part, the protection wasn't there. Yeah, I mean, it makes it hard uh, if you, you can't block. You saw that with your uh, alma mater last week. I mean, yeah. they were harassing the Ohio State quarterback because uh, the offensive line wasn't too good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's cliche or whatever, but, I mean, in football it comes down to the line play. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why Toledo had so much success last week because their line stood up really well against Illinois. Well, you can read their stuff each and every week in the Toledo Blade. Once again, thanks to Kyle and Steve for spending some time with us. Uh, good luck. Have a great rest of your fall season, guys. Thank you. We appreciate thanks, it. Jeff. Absolutely. Stay right there. We've got more to come. Dan Cummins joining me here on Leading Edge right after this. Well, a big thank you to Kyle uh, Rowland and also Steve Junga for spending uh, some time with us talking about the fall sports season and the changes, the landscape. Speaking of changes, man, we've got something coming here at WTOL 11 tomorrow, if you're watching us here on Sunday or on September 11th. Dan Cummins joining me to talk a little bit about this new venture, 4 o'clock news. You back on WTOL 11. Very excited about that. Uh, when I first heard we were going to do a 4 o'clock show, I was thinking, Hmm. I talked to her. I talked to Lauren. True story. Go our news director. Do you want me to want this show? <laughs> she said, I really do. Like, well, I would love to do it then. I, I'm very excited about it. I, in fact, as we've gotten more into planning it and, yeah. and uh, now we've been rehearsing it every day to get the hang of the whole rhythm of it. I'm more excited about this than I have been in a long, long time about something I'm doing at the station. Starting Big Board Friday off in 1993, that that's taken, a, you know, that's been 30 years now with that. And and uh, I mean, we've done research and we've had meetings and, and asked a lot of people like, what do you like about a newscast? What don't you like about a newscast at four o'clock? And the, it's a different animal than what you do at five and six. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be quite a bit different than uh, what people are seeing uh, on the competition, for example. As you guys have talked about, once again, Kaylee Kirby and Tatiana Cash joining you throughout yeah. the week as far as this program is concerned. And bring everybody up to speed. And we've said it, though. Uh, Dr. Phil ending his show after 20 plus years. So there were a lot of stations within our ownership group who had to look for something to fill that spot. But it just made sense to look at a news program for us because we do it so well. And you have said time and time again, as we've gone through this, it gives it a little time to breathe as far as this show is concerned. Yeah, this this show is not going to be your fast paced new, we're not, you know, a machine gun of news that the, the five and the six and the and the 10 and 11 are pretty, pretty fast paced. Mm. This show is going to be a little more laid back, but we'll, we'll have a news segment. We'll have a weather segment, but a lot of featurey stuff as we've been emphasizing. Jeff, you've lived here this whole your whole life. Uh, I moved here. I was 26 years old a long time ago, and uh, this is a great place to, to work and live and raise a family. There's a lot of great stories here, and with our, our hope is to find these stories, tell these stories, and make you feel good about living in Toledo. You guys are getting out in the community. People oh, are going to see oh. that, right? Yeah. We, uh, it was a great idea to uh, to get us a little reporter involved in a thing called Try This. Now, Joe Ricknowski, mm -hmm. a great friend of mine, I hired him here many years ago. He came in here as a feature reporter in sports. And, hey, Joe, try this. Well, this is going to be a, a morph between what Joe did and what Mike Rowe does in the dirty jobs. These aren't all, these are not dirty jobs by any means, yeah. but that we're getting it. So in the past few weeks, I have uh, been a oyster shucker. Oyster shucker. Uh, we I'll heard you. that. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do it three times. <laughs> uh, I, have, uh, I have done nails in a nail salon. Uh, Had yours done or you've done them? I did them. Right, uh, I, right. uh, I was, a, the, the owner of this shop was like, 
You know, you put a divot on her nails with that with that little with that little thing. You're cleaning the nail off. Uh, gosh, I uh, was uh, working with a dog. I was doing uh, dog grooming. Oh this my week. gosh! Hey, our last. So once again, that starts up Monday, September yeah, 11th, looking forward to uh, it. four o'clock, right here on WTOL 11. Uh, in our last minute or so, I want you to talk a little about. You've got another honor flight coming up, Jeff. It's our third of four trips this year. Uh, we went in April, we went in June, and now we're going again uh, on Tuesday, the 11th. And then the last Tuesday one is the 12th. Yeah. Yeah. Tuesday the 12th. Yes. And then we're going on November 7th, uh, our fourth time. Uh, this trip uh, has one World War II veteran. He's 98 years old uh, in his, his history. He, he uh, didn't do any fighting, but he was uh, he was guarding prisoners, things like that. Uh, so eager to, to meet him. Uh, we have a handful of Korean War veterans, mostly are Vietnam veterans, mm -hmm. because again, the they're they're more you know they're younger, right? And they're more able to travel, uh, less have to be sick when the flight goes. And we're looking forward to meeting a whole new bunch, 83 new veterans this year. And every single experience is different because they're all taking something away from it. We got about 20 seconds left. I I know how emotional this is for you each and every time. Every time uh, when we come back to the terminal and family and friends are waving the flags and and singing and clapping and the veterans who had such a brutal brutal homecoming from Vietnam yeah. uh, they've told me horror stories about things they, they that happened to them and and it's just like you just feel feel some of that pain go yeah. away yeah. and they can be happy well good luck on the honor flight and good you. luck on the launch looking forward to it All Coming right. up Monday at four o'clock awesome stay right there we'll wrap things up right after this Welcome back. If you have questions or comments for Leading Edge, you can send them to Jeff Smith at WTOL.com. Thanks for joining us once again. We'll see you next time.